and this is my podcast where I deep dive into matters surrounding HR tech and the future of work. I was a former HR serial entrepreneur and write extensively about the future of work on my blog. You may know me better through the Singapore HR tech market map that I created in 2017. In this podcast, I speak with the people who are enabling the future of work. From mindfulness coach to employee engagement platform, they are all helping companies to better navigate rising work and business demands. I'm hoping that sharing in this podcast will help you better prepare yourself and your business for what the future of work may bring. My guest today is Bjorn Lee, the founder and CEO of MindFi, a corporate mental wellness company. Previously, Bjorn served as the head of product innovation at Zopim in 2014. Prior to Zopim, Bjorn was co-founder of Stickery, an educational game startup in San Francisco that was funded by Google Ventures. Bjorn, thank you for coming on to the show. Hey, Adrian. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be speaking with you today because we are going to be speaking about mental wellness as well as meditation. And for the audience who have been following me for the longest time, they would remember when I first restarted my podcast, which of course I'm in season two right now, longest season two ever. My first guest was actually a meditation coach. And for your information, your episode would be the final episode of my season two. Oh, so wow. I think it is no quite pressure, a coincidence. Huh? Yeah. No pressure. Yeah, but I just find that it's quite interesting and coincidental that my first and my last episode would actually be around mental wellness. And it's something that I hold close to my heart because I've been practicing a fair bit of it. But then today, the spotlight is on you. But before we begin, perhaps you can start by sharing with the audience a bit about your background. My first uh, meditation experience came in 2011 at a Vipassana retreat in uh, Northern India. Uh, this is Kanal, the town of Kanal, I think in Haryana state, if I actually get my facts right. And I think the story of how I got there, one Christmas, I actually went there over Christmas and New Year's in 2011, was because I have been, I had been experiencing multiple health scares in the two years leading up to that. I was uh, having intermittent chest pains that actually kept me really breathless, lasted only one or two seconds but they just radiate across my chest area, both the left and the right. At first I thought it was heart attack, and but I realized that it was too short and I did my best Googling, put my best Googling skills to use and realized it wasn't, but I got worried. I, went to see I insisted that he send me to a cardiologist, but he ran multiple scans, chest x-rays, and, and put me on the treadmill to run and finally told me that uh, it was all about my elevated stress levels and my poor mental health at a point of time. And to be fair, I was working very long hours managing my startup. My team was split between Singapore and the US. And so I was running very crazy hours. I was working 16, 17 hours per day, maybe even on weekends as well, most weekends. And so that led me to him. He told me that I should go speak to a psychiatrist. This is 2011, 10 years before today. And my first instinct was, hell no, I'm not going to see a, I'm not going to see a, a psychiatrist. I don't want any medication. And he tried to educate me with the process because he knew that I had this stigma, which many people in Asia have as well. And he wanted me to see a psychologist. Again, I refused to do that because I think for the Singaporeans among your audience, the stigma of uh, Woodbridge Hospital is real. <laughs> and so I told him that I don't want to go anywhere to Woodbridge Hospital or the rebranded Institute of Mental Health as well. I told him to think about it, of course. So he was a little bit frustrated, but he told me that you should try meditation because I meditate as well to manage my own levels and it's science-based and so on. Now that I finally listened to you three months later and that got me into that Vipassana retreat in Northern India. For the audience who may not be familiar, could you elaborate what is Vipassana retreat? 
So Vipassana retreat is a 10-day silent retreat where we actually are guided by audio an audio track. Everybody is everybody meditates for 10 hours a day. We wake up at 5 a.m. and we stop meditating around 9 p.m. with some breaks baked into it. It is it's a very contemplative practice which encourages us to focus on our breathing or the body sensations as well. It's just to simplify it. And this was when you were working on your startup. Uh, going by your LinkedIn, I would think that is a stickery. And after yes, that, as right. you go through your meditation experience, you uh, started with Zopin, then Zendesk, WeWork. And my MyFi actually came about only in 2016. And yes. maybe you could help the audience better understand a bit about MyFi and what actually drove you to start MyFi to begin with. Sure, no problem. So in 2011, I started meditating and you're right. Back then I was running Stickery, which was an education uh, startup that was funded by Google Ventures in uh, Silicon Valley. I, I, I uh, exited from that company after three years of running it. And then I joined Zopim, which was uh, acquired by Zendesk as well. I was at Zendesk and Zopim for coming to about three years where we just grew really fast. Zendesk bought this small company, 50 packs from Singapore integrated us into their company in three months. They also went public. I was, I found myself managing up to six different product teams because I was in charge of the product integration. And so this gave me uh, a lot of learning, but also I think my stress levels also never, I also got, managed to get higher than when I was running my own startup. So in 2016, I decided that I wanted to take a break. I've heard about how wonderful the concept of a sabbatical is. And I also was going through uh, some personal relationship issues. I, was break I broke up, I got out of a long-term relationship and I just decided to, I don't want that six months off. So I took a sabbatical and I was enjoying myself so much, doing so much learning. I, I learned programming, I learned five different languages on Udacity, Coursera during that. And I realized that I ran out of time to think about what to do next. I decided to spend another half a year lengthening my sabbatical from half a year to one year in order to figure out what I want to do. I look back at my past career and my own background as well. I did a very wide sweep in terms of what I wanted to work on for a startup. And I eventually settled on mental health. I used three parameters to evaluate what I eventually ended up working on. And it's based on the framework from Jim Collins, Good to Great. One was market opportunity, the market size, right? Mental health was not that big back then in 2016, but it was fast growing. Second was my own personal background and skill sets in product management, product design, and all that. Last but not least was different from the framework, which was social impact. I did not want to just do another e-commerce company or jump onto what was then a nascent cryptocurrency slash blockchain industry as well. I wanted to, you know, build something that was going to be useful, that I found personally useful and solve my literal, literally my own pain points because I had suffered from chest pains. So that's why I decided to set up MyFi. I spent a lot of time thinking about the name. I eventually set up on MyFi, which rhymes with Wi-Fi for a reason, because our society has grown so addicted. We spend so much time these days on our digital media habits that our external network is very strong, that Wi-Fi network. Internal mental network, our internal mind network is so so I wanted to really build MyFi as a byword for stronger mental health, stronger mental fitness. And 
I also would appreciate the fact that as a founder, the kind of stress that you could be going through right now in MindFi could also be quite similar to the kind that you were experiencing as a co-founder back in Stickery. As someone has mentioned to me before, when he decided to become an entrepreneur, I cannot stand working 40 hours for other people. So I ended up working 100 <laughs> hours for myself. Right. But of course, right now you have on the back of your of your baggage, which is 10 years of accumulated experience in mindfulness and meditation. How has that helped you to become a more balanced co-founder or balanced founder, even though you're still in the startup? Yeah, that's a very good question as well, because you're definitely right. I got out of a startup, despite the very high stress levels, I still enjoyed it. I spent some years in corporate in a much bigger company. And now at MyFi, I would say that I am slightly more prepared with 10 years of practice behind me, but it's never enough. I constantly learn from my friends in the mindfulness, the mental health space as well. My advisors in clinical psychology, sports psychology, and all that. And it's, I feel that I go back to a framework I really like about mental health and well-being, and it's from the World Health Organization, right? It has five factors, physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual. The last one, spiritual, is really interesting. It's the sense of purpose and drive. What really keeps me alive working in a startup compared to a corporate is that sense of ownership over and, and strong belief in what you're trying to change, some aspect of the world that you are trying to change that forces entrepreneurs and founders to strike out on their own and take on such a roller coaster of emotions and in, in the startup life. You have done that before multiple times and I think you know what I'm talking about as well. What keeps me going really is, is this, right? Uh, and I'll be honest with you, like uh, throughout my entire journey starting out MyFi as well, mental health was very difficult to take off in Asia especially before the pandemic, I've lasted till now. And, uh, but as I shared on my LinkedIn as well, I've thought about quitting multiple times, right? Um, I had to make some bad, um, like hard decisions. Like I rejected investor money when they were ready to give me the first few years of my business. There were some, I go through like a lot of emotional distress, questioning myself, imposter syndrome, second guessing my own uh, decisions as well. And what kept me going usually was uh, different types of therapy, right? I've tried cognitive behavioral therapy, and if you're interested as well, another type of therapy is acceptance and commitment therapy, which is actually a fast growing field. And long story short is that I assess myself and I project myself into the future. And I ask myself, if I stop working on this startup, how will I feel? I'll feel happy for maybe the first month. Definitely, that's the peak of happiness. After one year, yeah, maybe. In my second year, I'll regret that I did not persist on uh, this startup. And three years, five years, I project all the way to my deathbed and be like, screw this. I think I enjoy what I'm doing. Because if I if I wasn't studying my file, I'll tell you some of my other options was to actually take a PhD in neuroscience. I love neuroscience. I love understanding the secrets of the brain, of our human brain, how it works, how you hack our brains to be more resilient, to be stronger. So I'm all in. I really love the entire space. And I'm so happy to be working on a startup, working with like researchers, partners, and even customers who are keen to take this to their workforces. What is your current personal meditation practice like? Sure, I knew you were going to ask that at some point. <laughs> um, so I usually kick it off with about 15 minutes or 20 minutes every morning. And then I uh, would double this if I'm extremely stressed. You know, I would always probably do 30 or 40 minutes on an S&M basis. So in the middle of the day, I would just walk 
to buy my, I make it a point to never deliver. Actually, I rarely deliver food because I rather enjoy, you know, collecting my food, buying it because that's my, what I call my mindful walking exercise, where I just clear my head and just pay attention to the sights and surroundings of that as well. So in a way, it's a bit of a informal mindfulness practice for those professional mindfulness practitioners out there and teachers. Right. And at the end of the day, before I sleep, I usually spend about two to three hours just uh, not checking my phone. I'll just be involved in whatever I do. And that usually involves talking to my wife, tending to hobby as well. I have a hobby of uh, keeping some fish and growing plants. It's my aquaponics hobby because I keeps connect me with nature. And I usually would just shift the decoration in the tank, change some water. There will always be some sick fish or shrimp that's not swimming around so well as well. But I find it very engrossing and immersive in that activity of just solely paying attention to one thing at a time and just detoxing from all the notifications that come in. So that's my general practice. And let's move the conversation towards MyFi. As a data-driven mindfulness platform, it is specifically designed for companies. And of course, I can understand uh, the companies would want people with better mental wellness, better mental well-being, as this is something that has been going around, floating around in many news publications about the kind of stress that employees are facing. And of course, for anyone that has been stressed before, I would imagine that's every one of you listening out there, it will definitely have an impact on your performance, on your communication, on every single touch point that you come across throughout your, mm. not just your work mm. life, but also your personal life. So could you run down for us and walk us through, how does MindFi actually support an organization that is keen to help their employees to gain and to attain better mental well-being? Yep, definitely. So our approach is our approach is to focus on prevention rather than the traditional protection-based approach that companies take towards health or even mental health per se. Suffice to say, like uh, we target large companies, so you should have at least about 500, 1,000 people and they usually have insurance, insurance plans and benefits programs for them as well. Traditionally, such employee benefits focus on protection right? So you're sick, go see a doctor. Many of these existing services might also provide psychiatrists, but for us, we are focused on prevention. And the first thing we usually do is to ensure alignment of the client priorities. So in our sales calls, even before they become a client as well, we want to understand where is the impetus? Where is the motivation coming from? Is it a leadership is, is there leadership support is the key question we usually ask right or is this some is this proactive from the leaders or is this something that's reactive as well from engagement surveys from the employees and there's no right or wrong but we usually try to build that connection as well and educate our our sales leads as they come in because we believe that when they become a client if and when they become a client it is important they don't see this as just another work task or work chore HR or people ops department do. If they truly believe in it, like whether it's a CHRO, the HR director, a manager, and so on, they would actually bring more uh, passion and their own personal experiences inside it as well. Some of our best clients, for example, Pepper Fuchs, which is an engineering company that's actually based in multiple Southeast Asian countries, such as Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, and they do have a presence in Singapore as well. The head of their um, entire APEC region was very supportive and that shown through in terms of how his managers and his uh, workforce responded as well to that to that top level support 
And we find that to be a common theme across our more successful customers versus our less successful customers as well. Because it radiates down. Once you have top level support, your middle level management begin to be more receptive and introduce some of these exercises they learn from our app into their meetings and their practices and the way they interact as well. It also leads on to training opportunities. For example, we have trained our clients in things like mental health first aid or teaching them how to be a well-being champion in the office, in their workplace, or even at home as well, since many people work from home these days. And last but not least is when you have that explicit support from figures of authority in the workplace, you then empower bottom-up responses, bottom-up participation, right? Your rank and file, your fresh graduates, your junior staff as well, because make a community real. So in some way, it's, it's, it's a borrow a planting analogy as well. You have to plant the seeds with leaders and only then can a thousand flowers bloom in the form of the rest of the team, the junior staff and entry-level staff and the rest of the organization reciprocating for a truly organic culture that prioritizes mental health. Especially for the senior leaders who may be quite skeptical about all this, there's actually a calculator on MyFi website where you can put in the number of employees at your workplace and there's a calculator that will tell you, for example, if you have 50 employees and six of them are actually facing unmanageable stress, that actually translates to an annual cost to your company around half a million dollars. So this uh, is calculated based on research of APEC workplaces. Can we discuss more about that, more on the research that you managed to retrieve from this? And of course, how does this actually truly create the kind of impact that companies should be paying attention to? Yeah, that's a great question. So with regards to the formula behind this calculator, I would say that the inspiration for this calculator came from one of my advisors at Duke University. Professor Ruth Oliver was formerly at Duke University. Uh, she led a two-year um, study in mental health at Aetna. Edna Insurance Company in the US. She managed to visit Singapore and we actually talked about how they managed to quantify the impact of mental health on a company's bottom line or like their general metrics as well. So part of the calculator is based on the, her research. The other part of it comes from market data from a basket of 10 countries in terms of insurance premiums and healthcare costs to companies. Right, so that's uh, the formula that we actually uh, use as well. Now, this obviously is very interesting to a lot of companies out there today. They are trying to justify why they should invest in a mental health program in the long term. I think there's a lot of short-term interest. And the danger here is that among uh, my industry is that we worry whether companies will decide that this is a fact. Right. But we know that it's not a fact because in the US, mental health has, uh, uh, companies that invest in mental health has actually seen a lot of reduction in their healthcare costs, right? The premiums that they pay to the companies on behalf of their employees. That's one. Second is productivity gains as well. And some of the most common metrics with regards to productivity is, and I'm sure you're well aware, Adrian, is around absenteeism and presenteeism. Because you can have somebody who is taking leave and have multiple sick days, that's absenteeism. Should they be more motivated? And uh, should they be able to manage their stress levels, they would actually be less physically ill as well. There's that psychosomatic or body-to-mind linkage of our health, that if our minds are constantly stressed, it will start showing up and manifesting as physical illness. Presenteeism is actually more difficult to track as well. Stanford has done a lot of work in the presenteeism space, and they even developed a very simple six-item questionnaire for the Stanford presenteeism scale that measures the impact 
of someone's mental health on their work performance. And these are the various ways that for us, we capture in our data analytics when we provide to our clients. And for employees that would be given this solution, do understand it comes in the form of a phone app. I know it's a bit hard to showcase to people right now because we are in a podcast, audio only. But could you just walk us through as an employee, as a first-time user, what would he or she be seeing when they log into MyFi for the first time? Sure. The first thing uh, when they join MyFi is they will be encouraged to actually do a very quick check-in. right? And our quick check-in takes less than a minute consists of 10 questions, half of which comes from the World Health Organization's uh, W framework. We assess five factors of their The other five questions usually rotate around presenteeism or productivity as well. And so it evolves from month to month, depending on the what the our client is interested in, whether it's about their productivity, whether it's about their presenteeism, whether it's about their motivation and all that. Once they have filled in this one minute assessment, they will then get a get a quick summary of where the well-being is respect with, with respect to the rest of our MyFi population, right? or even with respect to the rest of the company as well. And after that, we give them the option to sync their wearable data because when you add physiological, physical data to mental health data, which we have already from the one-minute quiz, you're able to paint a very good picture. And last but not least, the third step is recommendation. We can then recommend you various short exercises and long multi-day programs in therapy, mindfulness, or breathing that you can do. So that in the gist is the first five to 10 minute experience. Subsequently, if they are interested, they could also choose to book sessions with our therapists or counselors in their respective countries as well. What are some of the trends that you're seeing? I'm very certain a lot more companies, a lot more people will be more stressed up because of what is happening. But is that the case from the data that you're seeing from your end? Yeah, I would say that stress has always been there. There is, and it is, stress is it's not a bad thing. It can be a good thing as well. It's just that when we are subjected to too much of it, then it presents burnout and it really affects our health. In our data, what we have seen is that over the past two years, which is uh, pretty much almost the length of our pandemic right now, which is still ongoing, we have seen the numbers uh, just go up. Uh, and stay high up as well, based on our WHO5 base metric. Because of this five-factor issue, our the emotional factor of our assessment, now just bear with me here because this can be a bit technical. Let me see whether I can, there's a more simplified way to actually explain this. Okay, so from our data, right, across almost 100,000 members of, of our corporate user base, what we have seen is that stress levels have gone up by about 20 to 50% all across Asia. And what is really interesting as well is that the users who actually show that they have high levels of motivation and they love their job or have high employee satisfaction are the ones who can successfully bring their stress levels down over time through usage of our apps. Because uh, we are able to, they are more receptive towards uh, growing their skills. So they will be more responsive towards some of our causes and webinars around resilience about building compassion skills, self-compassion in their leadership skills as well. Those people who demonstrate higher spiritual well-being score, a sense of purpose in our scores, would generally see their stress levels drop faster than the rest as well. And I think this also relates to a broader trend, which is really popular in the field right now called the Great Resignation, right? The Great Resignation uh, is happening because there's a misalignment 
of working hours and workplace policies versus, say, a sense of alignment of personal passion with the organizational values. So I think this is really interesting going forward because we've got to make sure that companies have to do more in order to explain why they exist and how their employees are a part of their future. Because otherwise, like employees are just going to walk away and exercise their freedom to pick another job out there in this economy. For those in, uh, in economies that are benefiting from the uh, pandemic, of course. For companies out there that's listening and would be keen to explore some form of intervention to help their people better manage their uh, employees' uh, mental well-being, adopting MiFi, which definitely would be very useful, what are some of the other things or other baby steps that they, you believe they should start looking Being more flexible on the leave policy is definitely actually very popular. I think in our feedback from uh, some of our users as well, which are provided anonymously to us and not their staff, and not their HR, is that they want more flexibility over off days, over leave as well, but generally more flexible working hours. And I think the uh, employees are responding to this. Another important thing that's actually really key is around response time. With tools like Slack, or even the traditional tools of email, and of course, WhatsApp, Telegram, Facebook Messenger, and what have you not, because people are working longer hours these days, they tend to be very downward spiral whereby people expect faster and faster response times. Companies should take steps as well to educate their managers that they don't expect fast answers so soon as well. I think there needs to be an, an important practice, and I think this is going to get more popular over time, that we need a messaging etiquette when we message our fellow colleagues. Is this something that requires an answer now? Or is this something that requires an answer maybe later today or maybe next week or something for you to mull over and think about? Because on the ground, and we do a lot of like user feedback and user testing as well. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, when we install a tool like Slack, for example, it asks us to turn on notifications, download the desktop app and so on. A lot of people turn everything on. And then like uh, you're trying to work, you may be trying to code or you're trying to run a financial analysis on the next quarter and your figures, but there's that top right button that keeps pinging and pinging and uh, you get addicted to it and you will find yourself answering that message maybe even till midnight. I think we need more policies around how we regulate that. In MyFi, we generally have flexible working hours. People are free to go to the supermarket in the middle of the day to just shop and buy groceries if they want to as well. And they can work late, they can work earlier hours, it's up to them. But we generally have a front style digital detox hours whereby we say that, okay, before 9am and after 7pm, all messages are non-urgent. If they're really urgent, we'll call you. But otherwise, just read them tomorrow. So I think that digital detox time is actually something really important, right? On top of flexible working hours as well. And uh, in some of the startups, we are beginning to see such digital detox um, practices, best practices emerge. I personally disable most of the notification I have on my phone. And uh, uh, when it comes yeah. to what you just mentioned about people expecting instant reply, I often wonder, is it a Singapore efficiency curse? Because every time I travel, and I did recently, I remember there was just a few Singaporeans just behind me. Obviously, the queue is long at the custom. It's a standard thing. And this group of people suddenly become immigration experts. They should do this. They should do that. Be more efficient this way and that. And again, I think I, I'm seeing this in many instances where there's just some form of traffic, some form of bottleneck. But I think you're right. It is just something that we have to educate ourselves on the fact that not everything requires an immediate answer. 
And That's I do right. hope that in the uh, foreseeable future, we can actually take a, a system approach to it as well because I do understand in countries like Germany, for example, you your message will not even go through. You can send at 7 p.m. is fine, but the recipient will not receive. So that's one yes. thing. And if you try to do that kind of thing in France, you will actually from get fine. Yeah. Yes, you actually, you, I think it's illegal. Yeah, you're right. It's illegal. I think uh, there was this article about Sharon Au when she first landed in France. And of course, being a Singaporean, high potential kind of people, you were doing work like 24-7 kind of thing. <laughs> and she got it from HR as well as from the company. But uh, So I completely understand where you're coming from. Now, I just mm. want to draw the attention to individual. Obviously, not, not every single company may be as enlightened as the customers that you're working with. But I'm sure at the individual level, we also have to take responsibility in managing our own mental wellness. So even mm. without intervention or support from the companies, what any of your advice for individuals that are keen to take baby steps toward gaining mental well-being? What I've noticed ever since I got into this space is that even though mental health seems to be a Western trend, right? The thing here is that here in Asia, here in Singapore, a lot of our very senior leaders have mental health routines as well. They're just not so open to sharing about it. Like many of them do meditate. They do practice Tai Chi, right? Which is actually very popular among the uh, very senior leaders as well. So one thing is that if you are working in, a, whether you're a small or big company, and let's just say you're not working at uh, MNC as well, check with your senior leaders, right? Because they have been practicing this in some extent, and it's great for them to share because there's a lot of respect that the, their workforce will listen to the very senior leader. This could be even be coming from the owners, the business owners, your tauges, and your even a board of directors as well. That's one. Go back to the source. Go back to the top of your to find it. Second, as well, is that there must be some level of ability to resist the low hanging fruits. Resisting the low-hanging fruit. Because I think a lot of HR, they, some, some, of them, some of my uh, HR friends as well, they, even myself as well, we do ask our employees for opinions on what do you recommend like, for us to improve their mental health. They'll be like, buy me an Apple Watch <laughs> and so on. But some of these solutions are very expensive, right? And so it's important to not just go for the low-hanging fruit and sweat about it, but think deeper, going behind to understand what is the real problem over here. Does the Apple Watch really help you resolve your stress levels? How can we be more thoughtful about alleviating the stress levels and creating maybe more family-friendly policies for the workforce, right? Allowing those with kids, those without kids as well to, uh, to work. For example, one simple hack that one of, uh, you know, like uh, our clients did is realizing that their, team, their, their teams should try to uh, have people who are early risers working together and then people who are more night owls working together in a separate team as well. So we have actually done that. Uh, in my previous company as well, whereby we try to arrange team members based on their work patterns. Because then you don't have the overlap whereby somebody waking up at 8 a.m. and starts sending a bunch of messages and then they, their colleague has a flexible working hour and they only start waking up at 11, but they work until 9 or 10, right? So that's the other one. Next as well is really understanding how they can reallocate their budgets because a lot of D&D budget is out these days, right? Those are, there's a precious reallocation and reassignment to something else that could improve the well-being, whether it's mental, it's physical, or social well-being as well. Last but not least as well, this is actually an even simpler, even simpler tactic that's free, is you know whether your company has psychological safety by how often people turn on their video on a Zoom call. That's a good signal. Could you please elaborate on that? Yes. 
Yes, because you see, right, in low psych safety cultures, most people don't want to show their homes because they see a separation between work and life. But for high psych safety cultures, right, work cultures, they will be open to share, oh, the bookshelf behind me, here's my messy fridge, or here's my unmade bed as well, and so on and so forth. It's almost like uh, fostering that level of uh, insight. If you are comfortable to show that to your fellow uh, team members, we are not expecting you to show that, but if you can find out ways to allow some people to turn on their videos and all that, you will get closer to reducing the negative effects of working from home. The main impact of working from home is about the loss of social connection. And when we only talk by audio, like this call, it's very disembodied. I don't know how you feel when I say something. You might be pondering, you might be smiling because a silent smile. Like we all say the picture says a thousand words, but when we lose the video component, we're losing about 60, 70% of communication. So I think that's really important in teams as well, that we try to ask how we can get more of our team members to turn on the video. You don't need to turn on a video all the time, but maybe just sometimes as well, you know, that helps. Because sometimes just working from home policy is, um, we don't know how long it will last. COVID could be around for a while. So I think one very quick way to diagnose how comfortable people feel with each other in a company and how much site safety and how much of a need is there for mental health and well-being program is just talking to a bunch of people, a group of 10, how many turn on a video? Who turns on when they talk to this person and who turns on when they talk to another person? I think there is a very quick pattern that you can, that HR can find or anybody, whether you're a business leader, can find in your own companies as well. You are making me consider re-recording this whole episode in video. So uh, I'll reach out to you <laughs> if that's going to happen. But as we uh, come to the tail end of the recording and also coming to the tail end of the year, what can we expect uh, moving forward in 2022 on MyFi? MyFi, there's two key things that we are focused on and it's the AI, is our AA approach, right? A for AI and A for analytics. On our AI part, one thing that we are doing to differentiate our solution even more in the space is around cultural relevance. Our company focuses on the entire APEC region, right? There's multiple languages, there's multiple cultures, even religions and belief systems as well. So one thing we're doing is working with researchers, both in US and Asia, Singapore, Japan, Indonesia as well, to make sure that we bring the best culturally relevant findings in mental health, because mental health cannot be a one size fits all. So that's one, we're bringing an AI around that so that we can uh, find the most personalized system for our product. Second is around analytics. There's this growing appetite among our clients, among employers now to find that elusive ROI of investing in a mental health and well-being program, right? And so similarly, we are uh, investing a lot on working with data scientists, working with researchers, working with organization psychologists as well on bringing the, uh, on quantifying the impact of our app on their workforces. Before we end the show, can you let people know where can they find out more about MyFi? Sure, definitely. You all can check out www.myfi.co. It's .co, not .com, myfi.co. Or you can connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, follow our page, uh, MyFi, on LinkedIn as well. I'll add all this into the show notes. Beyond, thank you so much for this conversation today. I really enjoy speaking with you and I think it's a great finale to my season two as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Adrian, for having me and uh, all the best. And I look forward to more seasons from you to come. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you are using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.